This is the Strike Mash Boil podcast presented by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club. This week, we talk you through how you can convert your system to electric, and the dock judges an oatmeal stout. Welcome back to Strike Mash Boil. I'm Marco, president of Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Phil. Uh, and today with us, we have uh, Mr. Lactose himself, Joe. Welcome back to the show. And joining us again, I, I think, Carl, you were with us before, but we got Carl uh, joining us again from season one, making his first appearance here in season two. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Yeah, so since Carl, first show uh, on season two, we got to run through the quickfire questions with you. So uh, as quick as you can, I'll ask the question. You come up with an answer. Question number one, what is your favorite specialty malt? It's like Cara Munich 2. Okay. What is your favorite hop variety? It's always hard to nail these things down. But I, I like the uh, the spiciness of Tetanang. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite yeast strain? We never brew the same beer twice very often. We, not, <laughs> we go all over the gamut. But last summer, uh, or last summer we were serving it, it was a great beer, a pale bock that we made, and that was the uh, the Bayer and strain from Omega. So mm. that was definitely a highlight of last year's beer, so I'll, I'll go with that one. All right. And maybe you uh, given an idea to the answer to the next question. What beer style do you keep coming back to brew? We're all over the place, but we do always put in a pale ale or an IPA. Okay. Uh, what is the most intimidating beer style for you to brew? I've definitely fucked up a lot of New England IPAs due to yeah, like due to hop creep and things like that. They are they are oddly easy to make and also oddly hard to make. I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> what is the worst thing you ever brewed? Oh Jesus! You know I, I I know you guys are talking about your your original brews and I remember my first my first batch like from a real you know homebrew kit not just like some fake mr beer or something like that i enjoyed it that's what actually kept me going but uh we've had some bad ones i I can't think of it off the top of my head tj would know this for sure but we definitely had some you know serious drain pours i just don't know yes yes you one with pineapple maybe Uh there you go yeah that was a that was an interesting beer the pineapple concoction but i was forced somehow (laughs) <laughs> we were trying to be we've creative. We've talked about that one on the show before. We sure have. <laughs> what is your favorite homebrewing mod or hack? Yeah, I don't know, but it's a hack, but it's definitely like a game changer. That's the uh, the underlet mesh. When you mm. when you pump your pump the water in from the bottom and let it sit, let it rise. I don't think people realize how how easy it is. There's no dough balls. You barely have to stir. I think that's maybe not a hack, but it's definitely something that people don't always consider. I think it's a hack. Uh, I mean, it's a process hack, right? Uh, what is your favorite stadium beer or ballpark beer? You know, the, the variety is, is there. Um, but I don't know. I was at the, the Bruins game a couple weekends ago, and I, I smashed some uh, Wicked Hazies, and they were, they, were, they, they were just fine. Usually I go That's with the like, Sam Adams Wicked Hazy? Yeah. Yep. They worked. Yeah, they're pretty good. They find uh, Sam Adams finally figured out the hazy game, and they they do a solid job. Uh, what is your favorite pub game? I don't know, probably darts. 
Solid choice. And lastly, what is your favorite American swill? Got to go with the champagne of beers. Miller High Life. That's my dad's beer of choice, so I, I smash a lot of those. There you go. All right. It was Coors Light back in the day, but for now. <laughs> is there any difference, really? <laughs> One comes in a fancy clear glass bottle. One's highly carbonated. That's, that's Yeah, funny. yeah. The other's cold as the Rockies. Uh, all right, so uh, this week we're going to be talking about that big jump uh, to brewing on an electric system. So uh, Carl and Joe uh, joining us uh, with Phil, you guys have all, in some way, shape, or form, uh, made the leap from uh, propane or some other system to electric. But what's unique is you guys have built your own uh, DIY electric systems. Uh, so we figured it'd be a good opportunity to uh, pick your brains and, and talk for a while on how you guys did what you did. So uh, to kind of get us started, you, can we just go through, like, I'm the only one on this panel today that ha is not brewing electric at all. Uh, I'm, I'm still all propane, all outside. Uh, so for you guys, do you mind just telling everybody what you started brewing with and what you've since built and transitioned to? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, yeah, so I first started brewing um, partial mash. Uh, so uh, me and a buddy got a f like a four-gallon, no, say a, I think it was a five-gallon stock pot um, and, you know, borrowed some equipment from a friend. Uh, after that, uh, we started brewing um, all grain. So I moved up to a, you know, cooler mash ton, in uh, a little bit larger pot. So I got a uh, propane burner, you know, turkey fryer. So then I had that seven gallon, um, you know, turkey fryer pot and I was actually brewing beer in that, the aluminum one. And I was realizing that was a pain in the ass to clean. I eventually upgraded to a 16 gallon uh, Bayou Classic uh, stock pot, all stainless. Uh, and then, you know, I would heat my you know, mash and sparge water and smaller kettles, and that got a pain. So I got another 16 gallon stock pot for my uh, mash and sparge water, but using, you know, upgraded from Bayou Classic stock pot, I mean, a Bayou Classic uh, burner to uh, like a, a banjo burner. Um, and I use that for a very long time, um, you know, even with the 10 gallon, you know, cooler mash ton. Um, you know, once it came into a little bit more uh, money saving up, I, I got the 20 gallon uh, SS Brewtech mash ton, and that was kind of my system for a really, really long time. And it was until very recently. So, you know, I, I was brewing everything on that system, you know, single infusion mashes, um, you know, I between a five, I could do five or 10 gallon batches. So, a big thing was, you know, looking forward when I had that seven gallon, um, you know, aluminum stock pot was I could only make five gallon batches. But if I, you know, upgraded to the 16 gallon, I think a 60 quart stock pot, I could eventually do collab beers with other people in our club. Um, so I, I was looking, you know, into the future by making that bigger purchase. And then, yeah, now I'm at where I'm at today if we want to keep going from there should I keep going what I have now <laughs> so 
Yeah, yeah. So tell, yeah, tell us what your uh, so what you've because you built something for yourself. So tell us what did you build for yourself? All right. So I had those uh, sixteen gallon stock pots, um, but then I ended up uh, buying a ten gallon uh, spike electric kettle uh, from one of the guys in the club, Rick Callery. Uh, he ended up having the kettle, um, but it, it was a really nice kettle. So what I ended up doing was take it. It already had a, an electric element in it, uh, tri clamp. So I could brew with that kettle, and as long as I just, you know, capped off uh, the element port, um, but with plans on eventually going electric, because I knew I was going to buy a house. I knew I wanted to no longer carry, you know, you know, eight to ten gallons of liquid in and out of the house, uh, or you know, boiling liquid back into the basement uh, to cool it. Uh, you know, I'm, get, I'm getting a little bit older. Uh, my back isn't what it used to be so um you know i was looking to eventually buy this house and you know never you know carry anything anymore uh so i then i had the 10 gallon uh electric kettle i had my 20 gallon uh you know ss brutech uh mash ton and then i had plans so what i did is i converted uh one of my ss no, my uh, Bayou Classic kettles by punching a hole in the uh, in the kettle with uh, you know a kettle punch. Uh, it they I was sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of work and uh, things in my brain right now uh, of how I did this. <laughs> so well, maybe I, don't get so technical on us. Just just yeah. give us the overview. Right. So of I, what I, you I got going converted both converted both of my kettles. Uh, the uh, buy you classic kettles to electric by punching holes in them with a um, it's a like a it's made specifically for one and a half inch tri clamps so a, a weldless bulkhead fitting uh, and converted those uh, and then I bought a Blickman um, brew commander uh, to fire the whole system. So I can do one kettle at a time with the one uh, brew commander. If I wanted to, I could buy another one and have them running simultaneously. Uh, but I, even with just one burner firing, I can run a brew day in about four hours. Uh, so that runs my pump. Uh, we get the I upgraded to a uh, a plate chiller. Yeah, and then yeah, it's kind of a Frankenstein system where I've got now. A, a 10 gallon electric spike kettle. I've got a 20 gallon electric spike kettle, the SS Brutech mash ton, and a uh, Bayou Classic stock pot as my uh, hot liquor tank, uh, which is running every, and the whole system is being run off a Blickman Brew Commander 240 volt uh, system. So I knew that if I ever wanted to brew with somebody else in the basement, I'm doing 10 gallon batches, the 120 volt just wasn't gonna handle what we needed to do. Uh, but it is absolutely fantastic for five gallon batches as well at, at my house. Cause I'm, you know, my water's, you know, heated up in, you know, less than 20 minutes to, you know, uh, mash dump and then boil is in no time. 
You've heard us talk about them on our podcast, our local homebrew stores offering the listeners of Strike Mash Boil an awesome deal on their first order online or in person. Beer Wine Hobby at 87 Andover Street in Danvers, Massachusetts is our go-to homebrew store. They have everything you need to brew a batch of beer, wine, or cider. They have more than 100 fresh grains, all the classic and new world hop varieties in a variety of sizes, and yeast from White Labs, Y Yeast, Imperial, and Omega. So for listeners of Strike Mash Boil, use promo code MVPOD to get 10% off your first order. Go to beer-wine.com to get started. That's MVPOD. Time for this week's beer review. Yeah, this is a really interesting style. The Doc, our national recognized BJCP judge. And honestly, I had no idea what the style was uh, for quite a long time. British bitter is one of those styles that's really hard to find here in the United States. If I was going to give this a score, but, we're really uh, taping this right now. Yeah, we really yes, are. Of course. Yeah, yeah. We like when the Doc gets a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but the, the, the cherry is super prominent, really there. Uh, really impressive nose on this one. Uh, this is something that is rarely brewed here in the United States. There's very few breweries. Jungle juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. jungle juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who hasn't had jungle <laughs> juice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 40 ingredients. <laughs> Nick's just leaving. Yeah. Nick's, Nick's out. So 40 ingredients. Yeah, that's that's the beer. Um, and so the taste itself, it's, it's pretty sweet. Again, more dark fruits. Mid-30s, maybe a 33, 34 like that. Uh, true to style, but um, could use improvements. Time for this week's beer review. Each week, we're going to review a beer submitted to us by a member of the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club or from one of our listeners. Our guest judge is going to walk through the judging process as if this were a homebrew competition, and all they know is the category of the beer, which this week is 16B, Oatmeal Stout. Nick, Oatmeal Stout, we haven't done one of these yet, have we? We haven't. That, that's a real shame. I absolutely love this style. This is a yeah, really yeah. good style. I, I I usually brew this at least once a year. I, I really enjoy it. So oatmeal stout is a English type of style. Uh, and as you can guess, there's oats in it. And yeah. that's what sort of makes it the oatmeal stout. The oats themselves, and it's generally flaked oats that you add to the grist. It does two things. It adds a little bit of that oatmeal flavor to the beer itself, but it also adds sort of a, a texture to it. Um, oats have a lot of um, beta glycans in it and will kind of add this nice texture to the beer itself. Uh, that being said, this beer is traditionally not huge. I know a lot of people will try and make this big imperial oatmeal stout. That's not what we're looking for. This is a traditional English beer, which means it's going to be pretty moderate in alcohol. So just something to keep in mind when you brew it. The beer itself right in front of us, it's a nice dark brown. It uh, looks pretty clear in color. Um, not much head, um, but there's a little bit of a lacing in the glass. Smell. Yeah, it's got a bit of that, 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 the coffee notes, the chocolate notes you kind of expect in a stout. There's a little bit of the fruity esters, which again, you kind of want. This is an English style beer. Traditionally, you're using an English style yeast. You do want some, some, some of those esters, some of those um, light apple or pear notes you get from sort of those type of yeast strains. Yeah, call me crazy. I, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I'm getting like this peanut, peanut butter aroma when I'm smelling this beer. Mm. Yeah, I get a little bit of that too. That's usually when I smell that, the first thing that comes to mind is something like amber malt or brown malt, which are these traditional malts that really aren't used that often nowadays. But I usually get 
Yeah, either like a peanut butter or usually oftentimes I get like a grape nut character. If you ever had grape nuts before, oh, yeah. I sort of get that from those types of sort of what I call old school malts. In moderation, they're really good in, in beers because they can add this really interesting flavor. And I think in this case, I think it works really well. Assuming that they're in there, we don't know for sure. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's certainly not an off-putting aroma at all. It, it's a little unexpected right out of the bottle, but almost made me wonder if it was going to taste that way. But I, I drink the beer. I don't taste it at all. It's just a, this aroma, and it's sort of this pleasant complement to it. Yeah, absolutely. So the taste itself, again, sort of what we got in the nose. We get some coffee, chocolate flavors, a nice sweetness. Um, there's some some bitterness there, but this beer is definitely leans more on the sweet end, which is fine. That is to style. Um, the finish is a little, a little dry, again, coming from that rosa malt that's in there. Uh, the the, the mouthfeel itself, there's a little bit of texture there. Um, I maybe want a little bit more, either from the oats or um, maybe a bump in alcohol. Um, but again, very minor. I think it's a well-brewed beer. Not really any flaws that I'm picking up. Uh, it's a really enjoyable oatmeal style, something I could probably drink a lot of. I don't know about you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. can drink a lot of yeah, this. Yeah. It, you know... You guys have heard me say before, stouts are not necessarily my favorite style of beer, but this one is so approachable. Uh, it's you know it's got an easy body to it. Uh, it's not too bitter. It goes down real smooth. Um, and I hate people that use smooth as an adjective. Yeah. I hate it. It's yeah. so terrible. I shouldn't have done it. You know, I, you know, this is what happens when you do it's multiple a, tastings. It's in also a, a whiskey thing too. Right? I know it's yeah. like it's such yeah. anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but it is an easy drinking beer uh, that is not polarizing at all. I could drink ton of it oh yeah it's very enjoyable i like it a lot and um i agree with you yeah and i mean you mentioned drinkability again english style beers drinkability you know that, that's what you want you want that balance of the malt um the sweetness the dryness uh the bitterness and this has all that it just makes it super drinkable super crushable um this is a, a really well brewed beer I'm, I'm really impressed on this one uh score wise again um it's probably a high score for me I would probably give it uh, probably a 38. I think mm. a strong 38, maybe even a 39. I think it's a really, really well-brewed beer. Okay, yeah. I, I'm enjoying the shit out of this. This is great. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the brewer gave me an extra bottle, so I'm, I'm very excited for that. Wait, an right extra here. beyond the second one that we have here? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, there's another one Nick, you can, Nick of Rick, you can take that one. Yeah, Definitely yeah. will. You know, um, I am a stout guy, especially this time of year. Love it. Yeah, so we've talked about it before, kind of the, the line between a porter and a stout. And I think this one kind of does skirt that line again. Like, you know, it's, um, I mean, this one's got some nice red highlights. It's not super murky and thick like some stouts are. Well, so, that's what it is. It's like you, uh, so oftentimes when I drink a stout, they tend to be a bit more heavy where I can drink a pint or right. maybe less. 12 ounces is pretty good for me, and I'm, I'm usually good, and that's it for me. Uh, where this, I could drink a bunch of it. Like I could have multiples of it and yeah. not feel too yeah, heavy yeah. and not feel like I'm eating a massive meal. Rick's looking at me like, bring it on, baby! I'm like, the yeah. thicker, the better! Toughen up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with a good stout. And um, yeah, they're, they're one of my favorites. Um, like I said, especially this time of year. Where uh, it's getting a little colder outside, you know, sitting by the fire. Sometimes I just want a stout, barley wine. I know we're not talking barley wines here, but it's that time of year for these kind of beers. Just pour it all over yourself. Yep. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. All righty. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. 
If you like what you've been hearing on our show, hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast service. And if you have any ideas or feedback for us, leave us a review or shoot us a DM on Instagram at StrikeMashBoil. Or join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. Cool. Uh, Phil, what about you? What do you got rolling? You're on mute, Phil. Oh, and the rookie mistake. Phil's on mute. I was on mute. Oh, my God. All right. So I started on uh, kind of partial mash, like Joe was saying, initially on uh, stovetop. And then I um, got a burner and was kind of doing that outside for a while. I got a 10 and a half gallon, like... um, I don't know, polarware pot or whatever. And, uh, um, oh man, what the hell is his name? Anyway, uh, I, uh, somebody <laughs> convinced me to, uh, <laughs> what's uh, the guy who runs Granite Coast? Jesus, I can't remember his Matt name. Matt Brassel. No, 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 he Jeff, doesn't run. Jeff, 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 Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. So Jeff convinced me, dude, you're doing it wrong. You got to punch a hole in it and put a ball valve on it. Um, so I did that, but I was just doing partial mash with a, with a immersion chiller. Um, so I started thinking about how I wanted to convert over. I probably spent a year like trying to figure it out, um, to, to go all grain. And my grand plan was to go all grain as an electric system, but I was going to buy it over several years. So, um, I went electric in 2017, but I started buying, like I went all grain and started buying all the parts in 2015. So the first two things I bought were a pair of 20 gallon spike kettles. Um, and they were like custom welded as a mash ton and as a boil kettle. And I was using that polar pot as basically my hot liquor tank. Um, I got a Blickman burner and then I had my old, you know, shitty stock pot burner um, for the hot liquor tank. And I ran with that for two years, just kind of with a pair of pumps. Um, I built my own little switch controller thing for the pumps. Um, so I kind of did that, just got my feet wet with uh, all grain, um, you know, just single infusion, no temperature control on the mash, um, you know, wrap it up with a bunch of foil uh, insulation and, and try and keep that warm. Um, so I did that for two years and then... Um, when I went electric, I bought the electric the electric brewery kit for the 30 amp panel. So you get the box pre-punched and painted, and then all the parts and wires inside of it, and you have to build it out yourself. So I spent about two months over a winter one year. With instructions. Uh, you have to like download the PDF file and I mean, they could, follow they, they it. Don't, they don't throw the a little pamphlet in the box with it? No, no, you got to download that PDF and and figure it out yourself. You, you use it. You use a schematic, but they don't give you step by step instructions. Yeah. No, but time, how much you pay for this damn thing? It's like fifteen hundred dollars, sixteen. And they can't throw in a pamphlet that tells you how to put it together. This is it's already on the website. That's free, right? All the parts. If, if you want to save money, for. you have to have you have to be an electrician or an engineer. Yeah. That's the only way you could say. Well, money. so I'm the engineer yourself. part, so. Yeah. 
So uh, me and Sean Dooley and another buddy of mine, uh, Noel, we wired the whole thing up and um, you know did uh, some test fires. It was perfect right out the bat. Um, so that's basically the control panel. Uh, I took my original mash ton and I mailed it back to Spike and had it re-welded into a um, heat exchange, uh, you know, hot liquor tank with the 50-foot stainless steel coil inside. And then I bought a, another 20-gallon spike kettle. Um, and I went with the what Joe has went with. I went with the tri-clamp style um, heating elements, which were brand new when I kind of specked out my system. That was all new. Prior to that, the electric brewery was really the way to go, which is where you punched a hole and then you hard-fixed that element right into the side of the kettle and i did not want to do that i wanted to take be able to take the whole thing apart and clean it so fortunately the tri-clamp style elements had just come out at the time and now they've they've gotten way better um those first ones that came out were were probably pretty garbage um but uh yeah that's that's kind of my I you know built the panel myself. I spec'd out all the system myself. Uh, Spike had not yet come out with like their what do they call it the trio the buy once cry once setup um, that didn't exist yet when I built mine. So it was kind of just following the electric brewery website and figuring it all out on my own. But I did it piecemeal over two years. I didn't just kind of dive right in. I now know when I brewed with Phil, he kept making me flip this one switch that I kept getting zapped every time I did it. Now, it all <laughs> makes sense, buddy. I get it now. Uh, all right, Carl, uh, you're up. Let, let's let's hear what you've got going on. All right, my path is, is similar. Um, you know, I started, TG and I started on the stovetop with extract, uh, quickly moved to full boils with the propane burner outside. You know, then we built... Our first mash ton out of uh, one of those cube igloo coolers and uh, copper manifold. You know, every slot was carved out with the Dremel tool, all brass parts and things like that. You know, so we did that, used that system for quite a while. Probably updated pots so we could, you know, less chance of a boil over. But nothing got too fancy. Uh, I did eventually stumbled upon the uh, the electricbrewery.com website, which is a great resource. And ultimately decided that I wanted to, to build my own system and go electric. And I, I pieced my parts over the course of, it was probably close, it's close to 10 years now. And this, my system will never be finished. I'll just keep working on it. Um, <laughs> it's never so, ending, isn't no, it? No, I mean, I, it's I just. It's always something. I started off with, you know, I, I had the keggles. They were already cut from the top. Those sat around for a long time. I eventually drilled out all the holes. Uh, I silver soldered the the tri clamp fittings to it, so I have a similar setup like like Joe and Phil's. I didn't, I, you know, like Phil said, I did not like the the electric brewery's way of doing it, where they had this like uh, junction box JB welded to the side of their pots. You know, meanwhile they're also cutting into these brand new Blickman pots, which was always kind of strange. But this was, you know, early. That's probably that's the first guy. You know, they call uh, this guy's name is Cal. He's the one that really pioneered all of this. Where you can that's such a great resource, that website, and that's basically where I just spent a lot of time just looking at that that website over and over and over again. Uh eventually the uh ebrewsupply.com came along and they started uh showing all the BCS systems, which is these brewery controller small modules. 
and they had the full full schematics online. So I eventually, uh, you know, looked at all the the do-it-yourself setups like like Phil did, but I didn't buy a kit. I ended up piecing out all the parts and realized I could save money if I just bought all the parts individually and do everything myself. So I I painted the box, cut all the holes, you know, everything in it. Mine doesn't have the the PID digital controllers on it because I use a uh, a BCS, which is a separate module that is completely uh, embedded, which means it's going to be like a web interface. And it uses uh, an FPG that's programmed to, to control basically all the power components. So we've, you know, I've been playing with that system for, for a while now, trying to still dial it in. And uh, that's what we've been using for a few years. But many years before that, we're still on the propane system. We still use the propane system. We still have the same mash tons. So I brew outside. I like, I have everything on a rolling cart. You know, the controller's on a rolling stand. I can wheel everything outside on a nice day, and we can brew on propane right next to it. So it kind of, I like the camaraderie of the whole brewing experience. Even back in the day, you know, it always started with a brew day and ended with a party. So that's kind of how I, I, I like it. As I get older, it's less like that, but it's still fun to, to enjoy the outdoors. I don't want to necessarily be cooped up in a, in a garage or, you know, down in my basement. See, I, I started in my garage or in my, that little shop off my garage. Um, and then I, I ended up moving everything to the basement because I, I mean, I basically had to shut down the operation from basically Christmas until really like the first of April. Cause so my garage, Why? And my shop, well, my garage and shop are, are not connected to my house. So oh. we live in so New he England. Couldn't, he couldn't plug, he could, he could run <clears throat> the brewing system out there, but he couldn't plug in a fucking electric heater. No, like I did it, all that, but it was I, I fermented in my basement, so I was gonna carry carry all the wort in buckets through the snow and ice uh, over to the basement door and down into the basement. What and, is uh, that? A, is that a fifteen foot walk, Phil? The, <laughs> Thank you. The, you know, you're, you're beating uh, me to it. I was gonna, that's where I was going. Man, that's it's a fifteen feet, feet. Damn it! That's an eighteen foot walk where you can slip a disc in your back or or pull something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been carrying uh, like twelve gallons of boiling hot liquid, and I'm pretty sure that's what messed up my back a couple times <laughs> by myself, and then carrying it up, lifting it on the top on uh, hey. the counter. <laughs> to moving to the basement to was moving to the basement was the greatest thing ever. I mean, I love it. But I'll tell you this much: I haven't had any back <laughs> issues since I've moved to all electric, and uh, everything is done by pumps, and everything stays in place. And my fermenters oh, are yeah. three feet from the brew rig. Right now, Papazian's fucking rolling, saying he's fucking wussy ass <laughs> homebrewers can't do this shit anymore. Uh, Right, so, so the the next part of this whole thing is understanding like why the hell did you guys even want to make the leap? I, I have a sense that I figured it out with Phil already, just based on this conversation. He didn't want to trek eighteen feet in a little bit of ice, but um, but so what, what was the in, motivation for you guys to go through the um, you know the, the financial investment of you know going to electric uh, the you know. I'll say aggravation. If you're going to invest 10 years of your time and effort hunting things down, it's probably not the funnest thing to do. So, and then piecing it all up together and all the uh, research you've got to do and reading because they don't print pamphlets for you. Like why, why did you guys put yourselves through all that to go to electric? Um, I, I'll start. 
Uh, sure. So yeah, yeah, we'll do the same route. Yeah, yeah. Round table. All right, yeah. Roll, so roll. for me, uh, I mean, a lot of it was, tr- I mean, I, I kind of want to mirror what a uh, like a regular brewery was doing. I, I didn't want to move things in and out of the, you know, like outside to inside. Uh, one of the, I kind of wanted to have everything streamlined. Um, I saw a few systems, you know, either online or guys in the club that uh, were doing things that were just way more efficient than I was doing. Uh, and, you know, I brewed on their systems a few times, and I'm like, yeah, this this is the way to go. Um, it's just streamlined. Uh, you know, your, your fermenters are right next to your kettles. You're not, you know, killing yourself outside. I mean, and then, you know, winter is just... <laughs> we're we're living in New New England. Sometimes that's gonna make or bake your make or break your brew day. Um, I mean, y- you can set if you're outside brewing on pr- propane. I've just set uh, you know a Bluetooth thermometer in my kettles and walked away. But I mean, I I don't really want to sit in my kitchen while I brew. I kind of want to be down in my brew house, um, and that's kind of what I've seen from setting up a basement brewery or a garage brewery is being in the brew house, you know, everything's heating up. You're doing more than just one thing at a time. Um, you can be cleaning, you can getting the next step ready. Um, so it's kind of just a whole step of streamlining everything, making everything quicker, put everything in one space um, to make my brew day go a little bit quicker, make it easier, um, and just make it more fun for myself and make it not so much like a giant task. Um, you know, a, a lot of the sayings, once you make something like, like a job or, or hard, it's, it, it's no longer fun. I, I, I want to keep having fun with this hobby and carrying uh, like 200, gallon, 200 pounds worth of <laughs> beer, boiling hot beer in and out of the house was kind of, you know, getting to me <laughs> where I was like, this is, this is not really fun anymore. Um, not, not as much fun. I mean, make, making beer, but when you're doing it by yourself, uh, you kind of want to make it easier and more streamlined. And I still want to have fun with it. And now I'm just, you know, like I'm sitting there and my brew day is simple. It's easy. The, the most uh, amount of lifting up to do is carry my grain out to the, uh, the barrel, which is only three feet from my back basement door. So yeah, it's, it, it was a really a, a big thing of convenience and streamlining. Yes, I mean, I think uh, you sort of touched on why Carl is a genius in all this whole thing. Uh, because he's, you know, it, it took him 10 years to build the electric system because he had one piece of equipment that we all wish we had, and that's called a TJ, uh, where he basically had this this guy that would all that extra cleaning and bottling and all that shit would be happening by TJ uh, what, during his brew days. And when he was freezing his balls off outside, they would just hug each other the whole time. If you guys ever brewed with them, they literally have their arms wrapped around hey, each I, other I, the whole freaking time. I've had many a brew days with TJ, and that guy will... It'll make your day so much easier. He will clean everything. Every you don't have to ask him to do anything or tell that person to do something. When like normally, sometimes you have somebody who's not, you know, as uh, you know, into the brew as much. But like when someone who's 
just as as advanced as a homebrewer as you are, they know exactly what needs to be what needs to be done at that moment, and they do it like meticulously. It's absolutely fantastic, you know. And clearly, nobody does the reach around like Carl because I've tried to steal <laughs> TJ Christ. from myself, <laughs> and it ha- and it, uh, and TJ, you know, he's he's helped me out at times, but he's just too faithful to Carl. It just hasn't worked. Well, Marco, your brew days are kind of like you know marathons. That's like <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You, you know, have to for, do ten batches in one so day. Our, our next brew day is going to be in my for basement. me going electric. <laughs> That's right. Don't spoil TJ. <laughs> <laughs> so for me going electric, it was, um, you know, we've mentioned before I'm an engineer, so it was about the process control. Um, you know, being able to dial in uh, the mash temperatures and control those mash temperatures over the full duration of the mash to be able to... Joe's there like, <laughs> what did you do? Did I you pulled like, right here a little too quickly, you know. Oh, for Christ's sake. Anyway, uh, so... <coughs> Wait, why, why is it... I keep seeing Phil drinking out of that glass, but it never gets empty. Like, what's... Do you have a picture of it next to you or something? Me or Joe? That's why you're going to bring extras. Oh, oh, he's just got like... Joe, he's he, got like 12 cans next to him. All right. I'm trying to yeah. figure out... In, in, the glass comes in the frame. It's full, but he drinks half of it, and it goes out of frame, and it comes back, and it's <laughs> full again. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah. Got it. Magic glass. Yeah, so process control, uh, not just the mash, but also like the boil. You think about uh, using a propane burner, and do do you ever really get that flame dialed in exactly the same way every single time? You know, that boil-off rate is never really exactly the same every single time. Um, I was was keeping track of all my numbers, and, I mean, it was a borderline miracle if I hit my numbers dead on. Um, for uh, really just the boil-off rate, and then, of course, your, uh, your starting gravity from there. Mash gravity always was pretty decent, um, but it was really about dialing in all that control for me and being able to have some repeatability from, from brew day to brew day, and that's kind of where I was leaning towards with the electric is, you know, when you set a, a controller and say, I want my boil kettle to run at 60% power, it's going to run at 60% power every single time. And the computer will, you know, the PID uh, controller will control that exactly the same every single time. And now the only variable as far as that um, boil off is going to be your atmospheric conditions is, you know, the pressure a little higher, a little low that day, uh, temperature and humidity play into it. But they're not as much of a variable as you dial in the big red, you know, um, knob on the uh, on your propane burner. So that was really what drove me to electric. And um, frankly, I wanted to get away from the propane. I mean, shit, propane is not cheap. Um, if you go out and you get a propane fills there, fifteen, eighteen, twenty dollars, depending on where you go. If you go to Home Depot and you do the the tank swaps, it's even more than that. And what do you go through a basically a tank every what roughly every brew day when you really think about it? Depends on um, the size, yeah. You know, maybe maybe yeah, every so, two or three if you're doing five gallon batches. And I had a couple I had a couple tanks, so I would usually put the full tank on the boil kettle and then the the partially used tank from the previous one went on the hot liquor tank, and then usually that's the one that got swapped out and 
a new one went on. So um, I, there's no way that you know doing like I think about the way that I brew. I go through yeah. one full tank every time that I brew, but that's making yeah. three or four batches of beer in a single yeah. run. So I I'd imagine that you're pro if you were doing a single batch, you're probably getting three brew days before you're going through a, a propane it's tank. It's possible. I mean, I was also, uh, you're doing big 20 gallon kettles, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's been years since I did it. So, but well, getting like, away so, from but, that but, expense. But on the flip side, so if you're thinking, you know, if you're filling propane tanks, uh, cheapest I've seen is fourteen dollars. So let's call fifteen bucks. You gotta, you gotta go to New Hampshire. You're doing it once every three brew days. That's five dollars a brew day. Yeah. Is your elect the electricity you're spending five dollars? Yeah. So f- uh, funny enough, I uh, my garage um, shop has its own separate meter. Yeah. So That's I got perfect. my own dedicated hundred amp service. So once you delete off the silly transmission fees and all that, um, it runs me about four to five dollars per brew day in electricity to run um because i was brewing electric out there for a while before i moved to my basement um so that uh yeah i I know exactly how much it costs about four or five dollars a brew day to run electric um and that includes in a lot of cases i turn the hot liquor tank on the night before and put the lid on, you know, set at 158 degrees or 160 degrees, whatever it is. And then I get up in the morning, eight, nine in the morning, go over, throw my grain in, under let the mash from there, you know, so it's sat all night long holding at 160 degrees. That's another great thing about going electric. I mean, you got, you got your, your strike water ready to go whenever you want it. Um, you know, even just the other day I was cleaning, uh, kegs and I wanted to make some cleaning solution real quick at 150 degrees, throw some PBW in the boil kettle, fill it up with water, bring it up to 150. took, you know, 15 minutes. Boom. There you go. Ready to clean kegs. Yeah. I mean, the huge advantage in those systems to be able to, uh, you know, set temperatures and hold temperatures for prolonged periods of exactly. time. I mean, like when it comes exactly. to mashing, it's definitely a, an art and a science when you're doing it with propane yeah. versus electric. It's uh, And I don't even... Uh, trying to do a step mash propane-wise, you can definitely do it. I do not knock anybody who has done it. Uh, absolutely all the power to you. That's a lot of control and a lot of dedication. Um, I like pushing the button. So, Carl, how about you? Typical millennial. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with I'm a lot a of that. Millennial. Yes, you are. Now, technically, yeah. you're definitely, you're definitely <laughs> millennial. <laughs> uh, early know. millennial. I know what a modem is. I'm an early millennial too, but it's still I see millennial. the Zenial, the one that's like that weird, not real yeah, yeah. generation in between the two. That's I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, along the same lines as I, I like the control. I, I like the idea of a step mash being able to, you know, just just by a flip of the switch and things like that. You know, I you know stumbling upon the electricbrewery.com was kind of very fascinating. I have a you know electrical background. Um, I kind of wanted to make something anyway, um, but then it all comes back to those days with the propane system isn't working that well. You're running out of propane. We had the the banjo burners for a little while, and they they pissed through propane. And then if there was wind, you could blow it out. So you know, and we we had kegels that we were using as actual pots. 
and I'll tell you right now, a Kegel as a you know as a propane pot is garbage. Um, they're just not meant. They're just not meant to be fired like that. So having the element inside, having the heating element inside the liquid, rather than trying to cook a thick stainless container, um, it's just night and day of how fast you can get to, to boils and things like that. Um, I, I have a 50 amp panel, so I can run two elements at once. So I can be heating water. You know, I, I heat hot liquor water and I heat sparge water in the boil, so I'm doing things in tandem, and uh, you know. So we can immediately be heating the uh, the first runnings when you're going up, you know, when you're when you're sparging and things like that. So everything just seems to be faster. And then the incorporation of pumps into a single unit, rather than having to plug things in, different things, everything's at one control spot. Um, it was just a big step, you know, because now we now we have two pumps in there. We have the eHerm system complete. We can do you know, a fly sparge and everything with a three vessel system rather than this switching from pot to cooler and things like that. I like the idea of future integration into automation, you know, with, with the BCS controller, I have a lot of outputs that I can control, you know, solenoid valves. So if I got really, you know, creative or, you know, a lot of motivation, I could hard plumb my system with solenoid valves and have it almost completely automated from grain to glass so that was kind of like a thing where i can always keep building on it um even you know does your it, bcs have the touch screen no no you know bcs is like the, the first two that they came out with are obsolete they came out with a newer one uh the bcs 482 which doesn't have a touch screen i, mean, I think you can incorporate one but they're also you know they're back ordered right now so it, they're a little tricky there is a you know there is a downside to going to that embedded route because the people that make these things are home brewers and, and you know these are these are people that do it for passion. So eventually the, the passion wanes and, and they don't support it anymore, right? Mm. So my hardware is what it is until until I decide to change it, but So your module you have to control it from a, is it a web interface or something like that? So either a, a tablet or a laptop? Right. Yep. It's Ethernet based. It's 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 web based. So I have a Raspberry Pi connected to the control box, and then I use the HDMI output of of the Raspberry Pi to a TV, to a okay. large flat screen TV. So I like it big. I think the P PIDs are a little small. My eyesight isn't as good as it used to be, so I like to see everything up front. So and the and the controller incorporates multiple timers. You can have every every session. Every stage of your brewery is timed, so you know, you know when to go to the next one, or how long it's taking for this one, or why. You know, you can time your right. whole brew day. So I, I find it interesting that, you know, listening to you guys talk about this, especially you and um, uh, both Phil and Carl, listening to you guys talk about it because you guys are both engineers, and I, like the idea that you decided to take on this venture of building a system and doing all this um, research and sourcing parts and, um, you know, all the resources that you guys use to, uh, to build your systems. Is this simply the scratching my engineer, I got to build something itch? Is that what it is? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm an engineer. I like, uh, it was kind of fun. It was like going back to, to lab and in, in uh, undergrad, um, 
wiring up uh control you know panels of of whatever it is was in the lab course for that day uh, you know in the electronics course um control systems are fun to to design and figure out um it was it was a blast to kind of sit there and um you know you you gave a lot of crap that there wasn't really a pamphlet they do give you some schematics and being an electrical engineer it was almost more fun having to figure out how to wire it off of a schematic than if there was like a step-by-step manual to tell you how to do it and granted that's not everybody some people would prefer a manual to tell you how to do it but um you know there's there's also a certain element of um customization associated with it so even though i bought the kit uh and it came with all the parts and pieces and all the wires um there were certain things about how the kit was done that i didn't agree with and one of them was how cal did his grounding within the panel and so basically all the grounding lugs uh, just went up to a single grounding lug all the grounding wires went to a lug and I thought that was a very inefficient way of doing it. So I ended up attaching a, a grounding block on the kind of the back plane of the whole thing, which then grounded the whole back plane. Um, so there's some, you know, where we, uh, as home brewers, a lot of our equipment is either custom or we come up with the ideas ourselves based on what we've seen. So, that's kind of fun, you know, same thing, right? It's the same concepts, just, you know, not, I don't want to say that not everybody can do it because I think anybody can wire up one of these control panels. It's not that hard. You don't need to be an electrician. You don't need to be an electrical engineer. Um, you can definitely do it, but uh, definitely take some thought to it and you definitely want to take your time and think about it because electricity and water is probably one of the most dangerous pairings out there and you could kill yourself. So you want to, you want to be safe the whole way through, which is why I took grounding so damn seriously the whole way through. So, so um, basically what you're saying is if you're a home brewer, you're innovative and creative. If you're an engineer, you're an innovative creative. You put them together, you're just extra. I wouldn't say every engineer is innovative and creative. Uh, there are a lot of engineers out there who just, uh, they could not innovate their way out of, uh, out of a lot of stuff. Um, and that's probably why they're not home brewers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, because, uh, and Carl, I'm assuming this is the same thing for you because you have the ability nowadays to just buy a system that's all done, put together. I mean, you just mount the control panel on your wall and, you know, you plug everything in and you put it all together, but it's already designed and, and created for you. Um, so curious, Carl, is it any different for you or what was it that same sort of need to, to build something that was your own and, and you also thought that you were smarter than the guys that designed these things to begin with. <laughs> I definitely felt the need to build something of my own and kind of do it from scratch. I, I used the, you know, the electricbrewery.com for a lot of the mechanical stuff, a lot of the drilling and the cutting. Um, there's some great resources in there. Um, a lot of the, you know, some of the electrical stuff, mainly the schematic for my box was pulled from the eBrew supply, which they have you know bcs do-it-yourself kits and things like that um definitely electronics is, is is something it can be done because there's basic rules to electricity so anybody can do them if you know the rules but it's not something that you want to go in half-heartedly i thought the design from the ebrew supply was pretty good where they're trying to switch signals as much as possible rather than power lines and they they did things 
pretty smart because you can burn your house down if you're not careful. Um, you know, you, you, you see the pictures. I mean, even if you look at, at you know, the different groups, you see, like, oh, why is this connector melted? Well, it's like, well, you know, did you check your connection? You know, um, you know, you need to make sure you have a GFCI circuit oh, yeah, breaker. Absolutely. You know, and you need to you need to make sure you test it before your brew days. You know, these are things like, you no, know, this is the disclaimer, but you know, from this whole pod podcast, we do assume that you know all this stuff. So, you know, if we were leaving out all those details, it's it's uh, not because we're not following. I would say them. rule number one of electric brewing is GFCI. Yeah. And you can get one on a cable like that you plug the panel into and then it plugs into the outlet. Just, um, I don't know what you guys did. I spent the extra money and I got the 30 amp GFCI breaker. And those are, you have to, the electrician has to buy it. You can't just go down to Home Depot and buy one of those. They have to come from an electric supply house. Um, just don't don't dick around with electricity and water. Get you have to be GFCI protected. Right. I, Absolutely, I did, I did the oh, same thing uh, for mine. Uh, I you know I paid an electrician. He hooked me up with the thirty amp GFCI and uh, just you know gave me an outlet right real close by the brew rig, and I, I just hooked into that. Which that, like that's something I I just don't trust myself touching i'm not a certified electrician uh i know a little about you know i could you know change out a, a light or an outlet but i'm, I'm not going to touch uh something like that you, you but joe why, why did you decide to build a system versus just buying one pre-made well for me i mean i grew up on a, on a budget i wouldn't say you know i didn't grow up poor but i grew up on a budget you know my father uh, built everything by hand. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of was instilled onto me. Like, you know, if you can fix something on your car and you, it, it's easy enough to fix, just do it. Uh, you know, change out the brakes, you know, your, your calipers, um, you know, kind of easier things. You know, we're, we're not touching the motor. We're touching, you know, the outer stuff that isn't connected to electricity. Uh, so, you know, that, that little ingenuity in me, you know, I, I can drill holes in kettles. I can, um, you know, a, attach things, buy things, change things out. Um, so, yeah, for me, I was, I was looking at, you know, the electric brewery, and it, it was a little pricey for, you know, a hobby. Uh, I mean, I, granted, it's, it's the only hobby I really have. So, <laughs> you know, how much is that? How much money? You well, how mu how much that? was the so? Uh, because I think this is an important part of this equation, uh, especially for people that are making a consideration on uh, jumping into electric, uh, whether they are going to try to take on building one or, or just buying one. How, how much was the electric brewery you were looking at? Uh, so the electric brewery without so if I didn't uh, wire it myself. The equivalent of what you have today. So that was. Uh, Probably going to be about twenty four hundred dollars, uh, just for the for the the, the controller alone. Uh, yeah. So Marco, what's happened kind of since I built mine? Um, initially, the electric brewery you just bought a PDF and it told you what to go buy and you had to figure it out. And then eventually, he built out uh, Cal built out a website where you could go. Um, 
he sold a lot of the parts and pieces himself on his website so you didn't have to go chase down the sourcing and then he started selling kits which is what i did because that's what was available at the time and it was a little easier and um, around the same time i built mine he started selling all in fully built out control panels yeah and so you kind of had you could you could piecemeal it yourself you could buy the kit that you have to wire yourself so you know for about fifteen hundred dollars for the 30 amp single element and then like joe was saying then you could buy the full up control panel already wired and put together for you as a uh, um, turnkey solution and those were depending on which one you buy run between two thousand and like twenty five twenty six hundred dollars again depending on which one you want so um you know the options today for joe because he just did the conversion um there are so many more options than there used to be back when i think carl and i got started yeah so so uh phil what a spike an electric spike system the trio system uh 10 gallon kettles call it with no table is what seven grand all in i think it's like four or five grand all in but remember you're buying all the kettles, the pumps, yep. the all the tri-clamp fittings, all the hoses, all the parts, the pieces, and the control panel, which is actually made by Ebru Supply, which is where Carl got a lot of his stuff from. Yep. Um, and then it kind of goes up in price from there, but they don't piece out and sell the control panels individually. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I know that. So, you, you so yeah, go totally to, get that. Yeah, you can't go to Spike and just buy a controller. But you can go no, to I know, no, but I'm trying. I'm trying. So for somebody that's uh, making the consideration, so right, you uh, go I'm to trying to find the easiest out. way. The easiest way to compile it is to have just one cost for everything, which Spike does that. One cost for everything. Call oh, it five an, grand. An exorbitant like fee that they're charging yeah. for yeah, everything five, I want. Five grand kettles elements. Uh, it's all your hoses. It's if, pumps. If you, I think it's if everything. You, if you do everything on your own. You might spend about twenty. Like what I did for my kettles, the mash tun, the you know the uh, the the plate chiller, the electrical cost maybe maybe yeah. three thousand to twenty five hundred. I don't know. Like it's part. It cost me about so about know, half. Yeah, about half. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's why. Like when well, you I guess the electrical part is. <laughs> Is uh, a, a cost the electrical parts a cost either way, right? So, right, if you it, buy it a spike system, you know, it, you're gonna have to have an electrician wire that outlet, yeah. Entry, unless you're, yeah, so even if you do a spike system, already, right? You, you need yeah. that, and I hope you have, uh, yeah. And you when know, you come down to like, I, mean, I, I was lucky, I have a 200 amp system at the house, but you might not be able to handle it all with the whole house, <laughs> right? And with you know, Spike doesn't sell individual control panels. They just do the what they call buy once, cry once systems. Um, so if you already have, and this is a lot of what Carl and Joe and I did, we already had kettles, and we basically converted them over into electric setups. Um, so really, you're looking at control panels that either you build yourself from scratch, you buy from the electric brewery in one fashion, you get from Blickman, which is what Joe did. You get from Ebrew Supply, which is what Carl did. Um, and then SS Brewtech also has another, uh, they have a controller solution that's probably very similar to the Blickman one as well. 
Yeah, so that's where you guys were sourcing materials and and also where you were getting schematics and uh, doing some research. Yeah, and then I would say uh, from other than those, the number one biggest um, parts vendor, parts supplier that I had was brewhardware.com. That is, uh, oh man, what's his name? Bobby. I, I get all my stainless. The, for, the guy from Blue, Brew Hardware. It's Bobby, right? Bobby something? Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Bobby from Brew Hardware. He's over in uh, New New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So much stainless hardware from there. Um, and the shipping is, it, like, it comes to my house in like two days. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. And he's got parts, uh, like, you want to piece out little itty bitty parts and parts and pieces. I mean, he's got it all and a lot of it like even uh i went with cam locks for all my tubing and how my cam locks connect or how my tubing connects to all my uh, kettles and pumps and whatever um they have gone out and built out their own custom made cam lock connectors uh that you can't find at other vendors which is really really cool so i mean i i've got cam locks connected to every hose um in, in the whole brewery, everything. It's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say Brew Hardware is a great resource. Uh, Brewers Hardware is another one. Um, and then, yeah, SS Brewtech, Spike, Blickman. It, what's the other um, one? StainlessSteelBrewing.com? Stainless Brewing, I think yeah, it is. Stainless Brewing, yeah. Stainless Brewing is great if you want a, a Herms coil for your uh, your hot liquor tank. Um they they are they make uh, custom length coils and and uh, that sort of thing. But you know one uh, one thing that's I would say that uh, Ben at Spike does that's kind of unique compared to everywhere else is if you want your kettle to have custom fittings in some design or fashion that's your way and you want it all welded up. You can email them, and they will go and price out uh, and spec out a kettle to exactly your specifications and then go weld it up. If you want half-inch NPT in one place and three-quarter NPT in another place and then one-and-a-half-inch tri-clamp in one spot and two-inch tri-clamp, you can make Franken-kettles however you want from Spike. Um, You pay for it, but it is exactly what you want, and it's all welded. Uh, so I'm assuming you guys looking back on the transition to move to electric and the path that you guys took, there's no regrets. You guys are happy with what you did. Uh, but is there anything you do differently if you were to do it all over again? I would have got this probably sooner. <laughs> I mean, I would have maybe, um, Carl's thinking the same thing. Made the, I would have made these changes like, I, I would have got a plate chiller sooner. Like certain things with the system that I've upgraded to that I found is just so much more efficient. I would have done a little bit sooner. I, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to the cry one, uh, buy once, cry once option at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right, maybe, maybe Carl has some regrets. Right. Over, oh, no regrets. Over, I'll still yeah. do it. Over the course of so many years of upgrading equipment, you know, drilling it and putting in, you know, a, a whirlpool fitting here and then this there and getting this you know how much propane i've spent and you know i'm sure i've spent the money for a cry once you know 
buy once, cry once situation. I mean, but I, I really like my system right now. Um, I mean, I have spike kettle, spike, you know, um, you know, heating element, but the Blickman controller that I'm using is absolutely fantastic. I love it. It's touchscreen, uh, you know, like it, it, it's really nice. It, I mean, it's small, but it, it does everything I need it to. So I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am right now. I just kind of wish I had done it a little bit sooner. That's it. I would say, and it doesn't, there's only one vendor out there that makes this or two vendors out there that make it. Um, I wish I had centered, bottom center uh, drains for my kettles so that they could be true uh, CIP-able uh, kettles. So with with all the Spike and Blickman and SS Brutech kettles, the ports are about an inch or so up on the side, and you've got a little dip tube that comes in, so you can't get everything out of there. So when you're cleaning, you still have to tip the kettle over, and if you get 30-gallon, kettles or 20 gallon kettles even that can be a bit of a pain in the ass um it would be really great to have that center uh dump port right in the you know middle of the kettle that way it's a true clean in place um i think stout tanks does it i think brewers hardware might make some but now you're looking at kettles that run 800 for the base model which is probably three times the base model from spike yeah, just so. get, you just have to get a one barrel uh, kettle. You know? Yeah, I know. Well, you know the problem is uh, Spike makes all their kettles with those uh, triclad bottoms so that people can use them on induction. And I'd really wonder, and I bet you Ben's got the data, how many of his customers are actually running induction burners for um, their systems, especially when you get up into the twenty gallon kettles and. I bet you, from a sourcing perspective, it's cheaper for him from to order the you know standard issue plain old kettle. Yeah, by it, the it holds up, you know what I mean. It yeah, it heats yeah, yeah. better. It, it it holds heat better. It's, it's yeah, a nicer that kettle. that induction safe bottom is great for running on propane because it it is more even heating across the bottom. But how many of us have switched over to electric and are completely wasting that? that uh triclad bottom is it is it wasted though it, it's probably holding heat better doesn't matter you know it doesn't so. matter either way well i mean it's does it hold heat any better than going up the side of the kettle that's the single wall i mean right say say you you turn that uh burner off that that's a thicker metal it's gonna probably well burner yes no heating say, say, element say, say you turn your heating element off in your world no it doesn't matter half, no you don't think that no. that that thicker metal is gonna temperature longer it'll hold a little bit of temperature a little bit longer but you have so much uh surface area up the sides uh, of the kettle that you're, well, you're gonna have some heat loss on the that, sides that base that triclad base is meant to be thermally conductive so it's actually you're losing heat from that base when you shut yeah, everything probably off. yeah but anyway my fi- my final thought to the uh to the diy approach and why i'm glad i did it is mainly because you know your system inside and yeah. out it's not a mystery box you know every wire, you've been in there, your hands are on every single component. So if something fails, you can replace it. You don't have to get on the you know, the, the phone with Spike and try to do a warranty claim or any other bullshit like that. You know everything about it, you can replace it right away. Yeah, I mean, That's a I've, good point. Yeah, totally. Like, um, uh, and we'll, we'll, with that, we'll give Carl the final word. You know, he's uh, knocked it out of the park there. Thanks, Carl. Uh, so yeah, guys, I think this was a great conversation. And uh, for those that have listened, uh, you can make the decision for yourself. 
uh, what path you want to take. Obviously, we've talked a lot about electric brewing uh, over the last season and a half of Strike Mash Boil, and uh, obviously we've, we're believers of it. I'm not yet doing it, but I've certainly brewed with these guys on their systems, and I think it's great. And whatever path you des- you decide to um, choose, uh, you've got a bunch of resources that you can you've heard about on, on this um, on this podcast on the episode today. But you also can go to our Facebook page, uh, Merrimack Valley Homebrew, and there's resources there where you can ask a whole bunch of folks that are doing this every day uh, what they're doing, how they've done it, uh, if there's anything they do differently. Uh, you can keep that conversation going on the website or on Instagram. Uh, you know, you can certainly leave us a message. And uh, Phil, you can remind everybody they can leave us voicemails too now, right? That's the thing. Yeah, now. you can go to uh, anchor.fm slash strike dash mash dash boil and leave us a voicemail. Uh, as of now, I think I don't think we've gotten our first one yet. No, not yet. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm also I'm not sure by the time this episode releases if we will have had one. But as of recording this episode, we haven't got one yet, and I'm dying to hear somebody leave us a message. Can they be left anonymously? It's, it's, it's got to be like message for, from Harry Mandek, uh from on the Tool album. Yeah, Carl, if you're planning on sicking your minion, we know what TJ sounds like. So if he starts leaving us messages, we'll know. I, I don't care. I, wa- I want you guys leaving messages just as much as I want our listeners leaving messages. It'd be great. All right, guys. Well, it's uh, been an awesome ep- episode. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Mr. Lactose, uh, for joining us. Uh, we'll look forward to having a, our next conversation on the next episode of Strike Mash Boil. The Strike Mash Boil podcast is produced by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, an American Homebrewers Association sanctioned club. Follow us on Instagram at MVHBC. Join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. And check out our website at mvhbc.com. Mm-hmm.